This is Motor Mania with Damien Reed on the UAE's number one talk radio station, Dubai Eye 103.8. Yes, good morning and welcome to Motor Mania. I'm Damien Reed. This is the only interactive car show on UAE radio where we give you motoring advice, we talk about what's happening in the car world, and we let you have your voice on road safety issues. And uh, we're going to be keeping you company all the way through until noon. And I'll tell you what, what a sensational morning. Winter is here, folks. A few foggy mornings, and before we know it, temperatures will be dropping all around the Emirates. It's been a a beautiful morning already out there. And if you are out there, enjoy it. If you're not, uh, as soon as Motomania is finished, jump in the car, go for a drive somewhere. Now, many of us will want to uh, spend a lot of time outdoors again. And uh, with that, we've got Tom Sieges from X-Quarry Off-Road Adventure Park to chat all things off-roading, and that will be after 11.30am. A very important one to uh, to listen into. If you're a novice off-roader, you want to learn about more about off-roading, uh, absolutely vital listening. So tune in after 11.30 for that for sure. And, of course, I'll be joined by my fellow motoring journalists, Imtishan Giado and Noel Ebden, who uh, will join me in the studio to give us a roundup of uh, all the new vehicles that are hitting the roads on the UAE. And uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about an incident that I, that occurred to myself uh, yeah, about a week ago. Not not the best of weeks um, involving a small minor bike accident. So, uh, yeah, just be aware out there on the roads as well. And also be aware of uh, traffic around you. We'll, we'll we'll discuss that a little later on. That is all coming out uh, in uh, in a few moments' time. But right now, it's time for fix it or flip it. So. Tell us about your car and we'll tell you how much it's worth. How does it work? Well, it's easy. We need the details about your car. We need the make, we need the model, we need the year, the colour, the mileage, any history, any famous owners, any incidents, anything you'd like that might add to it. And uh, we would love to know all about that. And I'm not doing it alone because I am now joined by the founder of Car Switch, and that is uh, Imad Hamad. Uh, good morning, Imad. Morning, Damien. How are you? Very well, thanks. Very well, thanks. Uh, winter's almost here, I tell you what. Uh, really enjoying getting out in the, on the roads at the moment, and uh, that means it's SUV time. Um, tell us a little bit, obviously, in, your, in, in, in the line of work with Car Switch, how's the situation with SUVs? Are they selling uh, faster now because, the, because the, the, the climate is getting a little bit cooler? You know, it's a great point. I think, look, SUVs have been hugely popular the last several years. So I think generally SUVs are on the up and they're probably a more preferred body type uh, than the, than others. Um, certainly in winter, uh, they're more attractive, particularly the off-road uh, dimension, right? So as you start thinking about the FJ cruisers or the, the land cruisers, the patrols and so on, uh, they, they are certainly spiking in popularity and we see a lot more demand for them uh, in recent weeks. Yeah, and, and news came out this week too that uh, the FJ Cruiser is uh, finally being discontinued after its uh, resurgence with the new model that I think came out around about 2007 from memory. What 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 do you think of the FJ Cruiser being discontinued and, and how do you think that will affect sales? Do you think now that might actually give it a spike and make them uh, more desirable? It's a shame that it's being discontinued. I think it was uh, quite an attractive one uh, and uh, quite a stylish uh, piece, if I may say so. Uh, I think, look, with any discontinuance, there's probably two dynamics uh, that occur that oppose one another. The diehard fans uh, will have less supply to tinker with, and that will drive up prices and increase demand for because, you know, they essentially become a rarity and eventually potentially a classic type of car. Um, on the other hand, though, for new people entering the franchise, they may be concerned about ongoing support, availability of spare parts, uh, how they're going to maintain and service it. 
And that works kind of against the model to a certain extent. So I think where the sales end up, if I had to guess, I would say in the immediate term, it'll probably hurt demand for it. But in the longer term, uh, as they become more rare, it'll increase their prices. Yeah, that, that would be my speculation. Yeah, you, you actually raise a good point about uh, obviously the issue of getting uh, you know getting hold of uh, of parts and things afterwards. Now, normally, when a manufacturer stops a model, or even when a manufacturer closes down, they will continue uh, manufacturing new spare parts for for quite a while. But eventually, the taps do dry up, but and that's where I guess the enthusiasts come into it. Exactly. And I think for new folks on the franchise, they're probably less familiar with these things. So the first thing you hear is if this has been discontinued uh, for the less familiar, the uninitiated, some alarm bells are going to go off, right? Why is Mm. it being discontinued? What's up with the car? Is there something there that I'm missing? And unless you are a diehard fan, uh, I wager that you're more likely to steer away than to steer in. Yeah, and that's going to hurt demand, I think, in the short term. Yeah, I remember when uh, I remember when General Motors closed their Australian subsidiary Holden, and uh, and with that, obviously Holden was where the the Chevrolet Lumina and the Caprice was made um, for for our market. And uh, same question popped up: Where am I going to get parts from, and uh, and how am I going to get spares now? But when they did that, and it was the same with uh, Ford's Australian subsidiary as well, with the local car, the Ford Falcon down there, is that they had to, by law continue producing parts for about another five years uh, to, to, to actually meet that demand of people who buy a new car. They want to make sure that when it comes in for its first service, when the factory's closed, that there's going to be new filters, there's going to be new pumps, there's going to be new uh, water pumps, there's going to be new fan belts, all those things that's needed. And I think it's on the OEMs and the local service providers to also educate their consumers around that, right? Give them that comfort that that's coming Again, the uninitiated is going to be where the worry is, right? Because they'll be less familiar. Um, the diehard fans have probably done their research, read up, and may be more comfortable uh, making the plunge. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's go straight to uh, the text. The texts have started to come through. And uh, here's the first one from, uh, from Paul, Paul Wilson. He says, uh, hi, we are possibly in the market for a new car, but would like to know a price of our existing Audi Q7 it's a 2014 model with approximately 99,000 kilometres. It's the four-liter V6 Quattro with leather interior. Um, pretty desirable spec, uh, Imad. What, what do you yeah, think about that? Very desirable car. So the Q7 is incredibly popular. There's not that many seven-seater SUVs mm. uh, out there in terms of the varying uh, models. And it's very high demand for larger families. I think a 2014 Q7 would probably go for around 45,000 dirhams. Naturally, it depends on its condition uh, and so on. But I would say in that range, 45, so 40 to 50 is probably where what you should expect where you should be pricing it. Yeah, I've noticed he's only, he's got well, he says he's got says he's got 99,000 kilometers, which is uh, not many at all. So. Um, yeah, that that will also go in his favour. So he might be able to throw a few extra thousand on on top of that as well, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So um, another message here we've got from uh, Gogo, uh, dear Motormania. Good morning. I would like to know what would be the maximum price I should offer for two cars that I'm interested to buy through an auction. Okay. So there's the caveat: an auction. Uh, one is a Mercedes GLE 45. It's a 2019 model uh, coupe. It's white with 70,000 kilometres. And the next one is a Lexus RX 450, 2019, uh, black with 80,000 kilometres. Uh, also wants to know how much is my 
2016 black Cayenne. Hundred thousand kilometers will get me if I want to sell it. Okay, so there's there's three there. So let's let's break let's break it down. It's a loaded question. Yeah. yeah. So, so let's start with the Mercedes GLE forty five. Um, not forgetting that he's looking to buy through auctions. So obviously it'll, it'll be uh, it'll be a little lower, I guess. No, that's a great point. I think we need to take a bit of a segue before answering this yeah. question because once you bring in the auction dynamic, I think it's important to discuss how cars are bought and sold uh, in the market, right? And there's. Mm essentially three different macro channels, right? You either are purchasing it through an auction where typically dealers are the one purchasing. This is like a wholesale channel. You purchase and then resell for a profit. And so there's profit margins that need to be built in. Plus there's the auction house that also needs to make their margin. The other channel is of course, buying a car from a dealership, either a licensed franchise dealer, like certified pre-owned from Alfa Dame or Ristomani or, or one of the other uh, franchise dealers or from a mom and pop dealership or a house in El Awir or and so on. And when you're purchasing from a dealership, they also of course have their cost, cost structure, they have their profit margins and they have to manage their risk. But you get some assurances that you're buying it from a brick and mortar place. They'll typically recondition these cars, bring them up uh, to a condition that is arguably like new. So there is some value add that's given in. And then the third way to purchase a car is directly from an individual. So peer-to-peer -peer sales. And that's typically done. So that's what Car Switch does, right? And mm -hmm. that's peer-to-peer uh, -peer used car sales. It's like purchasing a car from a classified. The advantage there is it's the best value for money because you're purchasing the car directly from the end user. There's no profit margins built in or cost structure. However, you are buying the car as is. And, and therefore, I think the important segue is these cars are not really comparable right? The mm. conditions are varying and how much value is put in is also unknown. If you want the best value, you buy directly from an end user. If you want the greatest convenience or peace of mind, you buy from a dealership. If you're purchasing from an auction, you're essentially looking to make a margin and absolutely nothing wrong with that. But th these are kind of the pros and cons, right? Mm. And, the, and the differences. So when we talk about pricing, uh, at least the prices that I share, are, are the car switch angle, right? Because that's what we're familiar with. That's what our data is based on. And that's when you're buying and selling immediately between private end users. So for a Mercedes GLE 45 Coupe, um, we sold one just the other month, a 2020 for 280,000. Mm. So a 2019 uh, is a year older. There's probably about a 15, 20% depreciation dip. So I would say a 2019 Mercedes would be about 230 to 240,000 dirhams mm. is what you would buy it from an end user. Now, if you're purchasing it on an auction, arguably you're looking to make a profit by flipping it, or maybe you want to hang on to it, but you're expecting a better deal because typically through an auction, you won't get to see the car. You have to buy it kind of sight unseen. You can't test drive it. There's some details you can't verify. So typically I would say, you know, a dealership is looking to make about a 15% margin on these higher value cars because they tie up a large amount of working capital. Uh, they're not terribly fast moving, so they need to sit on them. So they'd probably be looking for about a 15% discount. Mm, yep. 15% discount on 230K makes it about 190. Yep. So I would say if I was bidding on it in the auction, It'll probably go for 190, 195, something in that range. Mm. Uh, if you wanted to buy it on auction and hang on to it yourself as an end user, uh, you know you could bid 215, yep. still cheaper than what you would have to pay to buy it at 230. 
Um, so I guess that's the range of values. It really depends on what this caller uh, was looking to achieve, right? Is yeah. It flip it for profit? Is it just get a good deal and drive it myself? Yeah, yeah, that very, very good point. Um, and uh, with that too, I mean, as you say, when, when, you, when you're buying from auction, you really need to know what you're out for because it's a, it's a pressure situation. There's no, re- there's no comeback. Uh, once you've got it, you've got it. There's no warranty. There's no buyback. There's it's it's there and it's uh, it's it's cash on the spot. So you you know it's um, I always say to people when they're looking to buy from auction, buyer beware. You know because uh, yeah. you you don't have that safety net that you get from dealerships and you get from from places like car switch or even if you buy you know privately there is there is recourse from that. But an auction is it's it's the pressure. It's thirty seconds, bang, and it's out the door. Um, so you. Yeah. You know, even if you're buying privately, you could always get the car inspected. You yeah. can have a deeper look. Typically, with take auctions, it for a drive. Yeah, they, yeah, they don't entertain that because of the way they're structured. You can't take the car to a garage and get it inspected. They want to take the highest bid. Uh, again, nothing wrong with it. I mean, great deals are. I mean, that's how dealers source their inventory, right? So you're essentially yeah buying through the wholesale market. But what the right price to bid for it? The, is you know it's a bit of an art uh i i think like i said for, so i think there were three cars in total so the 2019 mercedes i would say 190k i'm okay. sorry for the super long-winded answer. no, no, no that, 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 that's good because it's it's, it's it's good consumer <laughs> advice um so yeah about 190 you're saying for the for the gle 45 yeah uh and then the, the one was a lexus lexus rx 450 that's the one yeah with eighty thousand yeah. kilometers so uh you know, the, the 2020 models and up have been selling very strong, particularly because of new car supply shortages. We also sold similar story. We sold the 2020 uh, for 220,000 uh, dirhams mm. just the other month. And so a 2019, again, I would say would go for about 180,000 dirhams if mm-hmm. you were buying it from an end user. If you want to buy it off an auction... You want you know another 10 15 percent discount off of that so i would say i would bid 150 to 160 thousand dirhams for a 2019 lexus rx 450. okay good good advice so, okay uh these and- are the first two which are the auction ones i think the third one he said he wanted to sell his own car so yeah, now just- we're shifting a different dynamic yeah so just just very quickly uh it's a 2016 black cayenne with a hundred thousand kilometers yeah so here if you're selling the car yourself and we talked about the three options of where cars are sold. So you could sell it to a dealership and you will get offered essentially uh, what we were just talking about. You'd get mm-hmm. offered kind of those auction prices because yep. profit margins need to fit in. Yep. I assume this gentleman uh, wants to sell the car directly to an end user to get better value. So yep. I'll, I'll quote that price. Now, with Porsche, uh, it really depends on what's in the car yep. and what is the specific car. I will assume it's the Cayenne S, which is probably the most common, and assume, you know, the typical features that you would find, though these Porsches are very highly customized, so it really depends what's in and what's out. Yep, yep. I would say, uh, you know, probably be 110, maybe 120,000 dirhams. Okay. Uh, for the 2016 model, uh, assuming it's an S, yeah. Uh, But again, depends on you know what what they what features were loaded into it or not. Fix it or flip it. 
Yeah, tell us about your car. We'll tell you how much it's worth. And this is how it works. Just give us as much details as you possibly can find. The make, the model, the year, the colour, the mileage. They're the bare minimums. Anything else on top of that would be an amazing bonus. And uh, it would help uh, us value your car. Okay, uh, Imad, uh, I've got sure. uh, Henrik on the phone line. Is that Sorry, Henrik, is, have, have I pronounced your name correctly? Very well, very well. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Thanks for joining us this morning. Now, you've got a uh, 2013 Kia Mojave. Um, tell us m- uh, some more about it. So, it's uh, 2013, 100,000 kilometers. Um, I think it's the, the highest spec because it has pretty much everything. Um, it's been very reliable, and uh, I think also the fact that the police here in Dubai use these cars in their fleet, it's also an indicator that they're quite good. Um, but it's at 100,000 kilometers, so it's this mental stage where you're not sure, is it worth keeping it, is it not? Um, yeah, we have another car in the family, a newer car, and I was wondering how much would this car be worth if I sell it, or if I keep it, if it's uh, capable, let's say, for very light off-roading, camping trips, something like that. Not a dune basher for sure, um, but uh, it's a, a body-on-chassis, So in theory, it should be okay for off-roading, but I'd like to hear your opinion. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, well, uh, well, Imad, you rustle up a, a price for us on that. It's a 2013 Kia Mojave V6, uh, 100,000 kilometres. Uh, Henrik, I mean, I think if if the car is running fine and you're, and you're happy to keep it, it's a good option to keep it as uh, if you have other cars, you can use this one that you can take out for, for camping on the weekends, not get too worried about if it gets a little scratch here or there because you've got the other cars as well. Um, Kia built a very good car, the Mojave, great car. It's a, it's a it's a very nice product, the V6 as well. A lot of talk with that one. And they're holding yeah. their value pretty well as well. So, um, But you've reached that stage at 100,000 kilometres. It's, um, it, it, if you decide to keep it, then keep it and run it right through. If you want to uh, sell it, then you know sell it pretty much straight away because you're you're at that cusp of a hundred thousand kilometres. Um, Imad, what what do you think roughly price values for that one for a 2013 Kia Mojave V6? Yeah, so I had her 2015. Was it 2015 uh, or 13? 2013. Is that right, Henrik? Yes, yes, 13. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so, I, so I think for the 2013, it's probably. 35 to 40,000 dirhams. Um, and I echo your thought. So, A, 100,000 kilometers is actually very low mileage for a 2013 car. Uh, so, I wouldn't imagine having much trouble selling it if you wanted to, uh, because it would be pretty attractively positioned. And right now, to be honest, there's a pretty good time to sell, and that prices are high. Now, of course, with the movements on continuing rising interest rates and inflation prices may go further up. Um, so, uh, you know, if you do have another car and this is really a spare vehicle in the back, it might not be a bad time to sell it. But I think to Damien's point, it's also at low mileage. Uh, you know it better than anyone else. If it's reliable for you, uh, you could choose to hang on to it. How does that sound, Henrik? Uh, <clears throat> that sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah, I... It more, it's more or less what I had in mind, and it's good to have a second slash third opinion confirming what you know already. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, gl- I'm glad we could help with that one. Thank all, you very much, guys. All the best. Okay, now we're going to go straight now to Mustafa. And uh, good morning, Mustafa. 
Hi, good morning. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thanks for thanks for joining us on this glorious Saturday morning here in uh, Dubai. Now, you have a uh, Mercedes E350. It's uh, a white uh, 2013 model. What else can you tell us? Uh, you've got what, about 80,000 kilometres on it. Is that what you've got? Yes, 80, 82,000 kilometres. Okay, so just tell us your, what your intentions are with the, with the car. Uh, the, the, this, is my, uh, we, uh, this is my third car, as in we have three cars. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to... I want to change this to an EV. Is it recommendable because the infrastructure for EV charging in UAE as of today is not so high? Yeah. So I am in the you know uh, confusion that if I go somewhere and I am stuck, then there is no kafu for EV vehicles. Yeah. So I'm I'm confused. And what, do I keep this for one more year and? then change it to an EV because I don't want to change it to a petrol car. I want to change it to an EV. Yeah. But well, not precisely Mercedes. Any EV but an EV. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, the thing is, um, Imad, it's, a, it's an E350 2013 um, with uh, 82,000 kilometers. But but on the on the EV subject, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're going to go down that path of, of going to an EV anyway, um, it might be an idea if, you, if, if you're happy with the E350, then you're right because there are more charges in being installed all the time and it is going to get easier and easier. If it's not convenient where you live right now and where you work and where you shop, then maybe hold on to what you've got for the moment because it is a good car, the E350, um, and then move into an EV when the infrastructure starts moving into your neighbourhood and around there. If you are fortunate enough to live in an area where the infrastructure is there, the shopping mall um, and it has has a charging bays that are not usually parked with old Land Cruisers or old <laughs> or old Lexuses or whatever other people parking up using them, and you can charge. Then why not shop around now? But it, it really depends. It really depends on Mustafa on the uh, your the infrastructure around where you live, where you work, and where you play and where you shop. They're they're the four key points. And if it yeah, answers all, all those, my, all my areas are non EV areas. They don't have yeah. a charging station. Okay, well then I think uh, my my personal opinion I'd probably I'd probably keep the E350 for for a little longer um, because the value is as a 2013 we're going to come to the value in, in just a second as a 2013 model uh, my guess is that it's kind of plateaued anyway and and you've got low kilometers so that's in your favor and uh, enjoy it for another year or so and then look at an EV when the market is uh, is has moved into your market Perfect. Um, so, Mustafa, very quick. Uh, sorry, uh, Imad, um, what, what yeah, do you think yeah. of price? So, I think from a value perspective, you'd probably, for 2013, probably go for around 45 to 50K. Yeah. Uh, thousand terms. And the mileage certainly works in your favor. Uh, a quick question from my side, Damien. Uh, for the EV uh, infrastructure, uh, you could install a charging bay at your home, assuming you live in a in a villa or a townhouse. I do stay like in a villa, but but then you know it's it's a petrol car. The the concept that I yeah. I have left home, I don't have to worry if I am stuck. There are a thousand petrol pumps. If I have the same for EV stations, a thousand EV stations nearby me, I would not hesitate. Yeah. I think that's probably more more to the point. Um, is uh, is the other other uh, areas around? But anyway, look very quickly, Imad. Uh, a quick price. We've got to go to an ad break, and then we've got to come back. So, uh, what what do you suggest? Yeah, so I said uh, probably forty five to fifty thousand. Okay, great. How, how does that sound, Mustafa? 
Yes, sounds good. But you mean to say keep the car and one more year and then hopefully change. Yeah, I, that, that would be my advice. And then as the EV market moves on, then, then look at it then maybe in a year's time. Perfect. Thank you so much for your help. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Mustafa. Fix it or flip it. Thank you, Robert, for hanging on the line. Hi, good morning. It's, uh, all, it's all okay, don't worry. <laughs> That's great. Look, okay, so uh, you've got a uh, tw- 2017 uh, Mini Cooper. You've got the JCW. That's that's a nice one. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's how can I say it? It's really, really nice. It's fun. Yeah. So t- tell us more about it. Have you uh, have you modified it? You played around with it uh, because they're very uh, playable cars. I guess you could call the minis. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the whole plan was to just to take this car for a. Daily run, you know, to to the office or some road trips and uh, those things. But I think two, three months in after I uh, bought it, I changed changed the exhaust to a uh, called the JCW Pro exhaust, which is from a uh, uh, Mini itself. Perhaps uh, uh, a lightweight uh, 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 wheels and mm-hmm. a stage one tune, which I think it has now two hundred. 50 horsepower. Nice. So that's about it. Ah, and some lowering springs for a for a for a, for a better handling, and that's about it. Nice, nice. So it's, you've, you said you've got 117,000 kilometers on the car. Yeah. Um, uh, what, what what are you? What's your what's your reason for for selling it? Because it sounds like a, a really nice little car. Oh, yeah, it is actually very very nice, but. How can I say this? It's a small car. It's a fun car. Mm. But I but actually want to buy a more sportier car. So I'm I'm kind of, let's say, on the edge now. Sure. And yeah. Because I don't know how uh, how much is the value now or what should I buy. And I just want to have some options. Yeah, absolutely. Imad, what do you, what do you think? Twenty seventeen Mini Cooper JCW, um, one hundred and seventy thousand kilometers. Uh, now here's the here's the here's the downside, Robert, which I think Imad might uh, agree with me with, is that when you fit these options, they are fantastic and they they are uh, they they're great for you personally. They make a brilliant little car, but ultimately they don't add a whole lot to the resale value of the car. Would would that be a correct uh, assessment, Imad? Unfortunately, a hundred percent. Yes. Um, I think it, it it does help sell the car sometimes because it does make it more attractive. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the buyers will not necessarily value these add-ons in the same way that you had valued them because obviously you, you picked them and they may not 100% fit their heart. Um, nonetheless, it, it is ab- absolutely a value add to the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, just so I understand the body type, is it a, is it a convertible or a coupe? Or w- which one is it? No, it's the uh, it's the coupe. It's a Pagonata convertible, but a hard hard top. Yeah, and, and you said it was 2017, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I think so. Based on our, you know, with these, especially with the JCWs, and as you get into more specific cars, uh, I have to rely on our built-in valuator. So these are system-generated uh, quotes, and it's quoting me here about 60,000 dirhams as the range. Now, obviously, you've placed some add-ons on top. Um, so I think these are a bit tough to, to price outside in like this. Uh, my advice would be um, to price it, list it, and see what kind of demand you're getting, and adjust your expectations as you go along. 
60 K seems to be the range in the system. I don't, I don't know what you were expecting or how much these add-ons costed you. Cause that may give you another sense of where you would want to start your pricing. Well, honestly, I, uh, I, I understand that any, that any add-ons on any car will probably add a, a quarter of their value with that. So yeah. the whole idea, so the whole idea was around 65 to 70 my uh, range was look i, I, think, I think i think i think that's fine i think look i yeah. i'm a i'm a little high go go for 70 and uh if someone because it's a very specific car if someone likes the car they will happily pay you 70 for, for sure if they're looking for you know the, the exhaust system the lightweight wheels and the and the, the the lowered suspension kit and the whole thing and beautiful little cars british racing green too i might add um so that adds to it too so go a little high but be prepared that uh, that you that if someone comes up and offers you sixty thousand, I'd I'd be inclined to accept that as well. No, I totally agree. Set your price up and then adjust expectations as you go and see what the market demand is. Oh, okay. Well, Brilliant. That sounds good. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Robert, and uh, all the best with that one. Uh, going now straight to uh, to Mario. And uh, good morning, Mario. You've got a uh, very popular car, Toyota Parado. Is that right? Good morning, Damien. Hi, yes, that's right. I have a price and it's a bit old now, but it's giving me a fantastic run over the years. I'm very happy, but I guess it's time I have to look at changing yeah. the car now. So you, you've told me here that you've, it's a 2007 model um, and you've got just a whisker under 400,000 kilometres on the clock. My goodness, you've yeah, driven it to the moon and back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's the VX model and it's the 4-litre V6. Um so uh, th- this might be a tough one for you, Emad, to find a value on, on that. But but I'll tell you what, Mario, tell me tell me more about it while Emad's sort of ru- rummaging through his uh, his database there. Yeah. Uh, you said sure. that the engine is in good condition. Um, what, what have you done with it? Have you taken on any trips or, or, or is it just weekend camping? What's the story? No, not really. I mean, it hasn't really been out in the desert. But I must say, though, uh, there was a previous owner. Uh, he had it for five or six months. It was at 25, uh, he, he ran it a lot in that time, uh, 25,000 when I picked it up. Uh, but it, it was almost new then. And uh, yeah, I've never had any problems with the engine or anything else really, other than the gearbox, which I reconditioned a few months ago. Okay. Um, and now it's been perfect, yeah. Okay, so the transmission's been reconditioned. Uh, I have to say, that 4-litre V6, that Toyota engine, is is, uh, is is as strong as an ox. It really is. Um, you, you, I doubt you'll find any issues with that at all. Uh, wh- where's, your, where's your thinking, Imad, with this one? So I, once you hit, you know, the 400,000 kilometer range, you're kind of uh, out of bounds uh, for many buyers, right, to be fair. So I, I think, look, the general value for this car is probably twenty five to 30,000 nerves. Given the mileage that you have, it, it, I think, will be a bit tricky and you may need to be a bit more flexible on your pricing. I would probably start in the 25K range uh, and be, you know, negotiate and see where, where you can close it at. Okay, so we reckon that I should just keep it then and maybe get myself a second car and use this 
Well, I mean, you, you could, and you could run it into the ground, and it will probably it, being being a, a Toyota with with uh, with that engine, you could probably get another three hundred thousand kilometres out of it. Honestly, yeah. um, it, it will go forever. But I have to say, I'm, I'm a little surprised with the with the with the quote from Emet. I think that's actually a good figure um, for. I mean, taking into account to this market. We've, we've, we've spoken extensively about the shortages in the market. It, it, it's a seller's market, so it, the ball's in your court on this one. And there's always going to be someone, um, Mario, always going to be someone who wants to buy a Toyota Prado in the UAE, guaranteed. So you'll always have a buyer, even if you do have 500,000 kilometres on it. But um, at 25,000 dirhams, that's not a bad price. It really just now depends on whether you want to uh, hang on to it. If, if it's not giving you any, any grief, you've just invested on the transmission have it as a have it as a spare car to run around with for a while and, and perhaps make your mind up a little later. Okay, perfect. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Mario. Right, just got time for one more before we go to the ad break and we've got uh, Abdallah on the phone. Uh, uh, good morning, Abdallah. You have a, a Nissan X-Trail. That's right. Good morning, all. Good morning. So it's a 2015 model um, and the seven-seater. Now you've got two hundred fifty thousand kilometres on that one. That's uh, well done, Mabrook. That's great. <laughs> tell, tell me more about it. Okay, so it's been a family car, uh, mostly used for office work and um, school drop, pick and drops, and uh, long drive. Not been taken off road at all. Okay. And I've just switched to an electric. So, thinking, should I keep this as a second car or just sell it off? Okay, uh, Imad, what, what do you think very quickly on that one? It's a, it's a 2015 X-Trail. 2015. Um, so it depends on which trim it is. Uh, the base model is about 32,000 dirhams. Uh, the, higher, uh, the higher trims go up to about 38. So depending on where's your fall, it will be in that range, 32 to 38. Okay, all right. So I got an offer for 25, I think. Maybe just hold it off and maybe... You know, finish the car and then sell it off later on. A few years more. Yeah, it depends. I mean, if you're happy with 25, you could you could, you could take that for the sake of a 3,000 uh, dirham difference. But if you like to hang on to it, why not? It's uh, it's served you well so far. So, would there be any problems in the next few years, or the, how many more years can I get out no, of it? I think problem? I think look again. It's one of these cars. I think where it's probably plateaued out. You'll probably get the same figure in in 12 months' time. All right. Okay. Yeah. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Abdallah. Fix it or flip it. Very busy morning on the lines. And uh, thankfully, I've got uh, the founder of Car Switch joining me, Imad Hamad, to uh, help us through that. Now, we're going to go straight to the lines, Imad. And uh, I've got uh, Hugo on the phone. And uh, Hugo, good morning. You've got a Peugeot 508 GT. Hi, good morning, guys. How are you? Very well. Nice to speak to you. Very well, thanks. Um, now, Hugo, I'm curious. Yeah, saying he it's a twenty twenty two model, so it's virtually new. You've no, 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 it's a twenty twenty oh, uh, model. That makes I actually sense. bought it in uh, in December uh, twenty nineteen, but it was a twenty twenty model. Right, and uh, it's full options. One hundred eighteen thousand kilometers. Uh, so um, I have one hundred and eighteen thousand kilometers. Actually, drive a lot uh, throughout the Emirates. Uh, so um, yeah, that's that's it. 
Okay. Now, um, you, you've texted through a little early and, you, and you've brought up a really valid point that I, want, that I would like to address. You're saying that, that people here sent, tend to see Persia as a, uh, a low-in-value car, but you've had very good yeah. – you, you say you've had good experience. Now, you're saying that you've had fuel consumption of 7 litres per 100 kilometres, which, uh, which is remarkable. 7.2. Yeah, yeah. 7.2. I do a lot of highway, uh, but still, uh, it's really economical, especially – uh, really useful right now with the uh, with the uh, petrol prices, uh, and I'm quite happy with it. I just want to to change it for an electric model, since I'm uh, in the renewable energy market, so uh, okay. I'm really into that. And it, and it makes sense, of course. That's the future. And uh, now I wanted to to replace it, but yeah, uh, everyone is saying you know Peugeot is. Uh, is uh, not valuable in this market. Although I, I really like it, really yeah. comfortable, full amenities. It's it's really nice. But everyone uh, prefers other brands that uh, have more demand here in the market. Yeah, pe- people should listen to us a little more because I'm I'm a fan of this car uh, because you know I mean th- there's absolutely there there was a case Peugeot did go through a dip um, for for quite a long time that went through the. The, the late 90s and the 2000s. But now this 508 GT, it's a very different car to the predecessors, and I think you've got to put your past preconceptions of Peugeot behind and look at this car. In my mind, um, Hugo, I don't know if you know, the, the, the older Peugeot is going back to the, the 504s and the 505s of the 70s and 80s, but this is the first car that reminds me of uh, of this one. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit of a fan of this one. Uh, Imad, what, what, can you give us an idea on the value of that one, a 2020 508 GT? Uh, unfortunately, I think, as you mentioned, it's not the uh, most common car here and mm. not the most popular make so we frankly don't really have much data around it and i wouldn't be able to fairly price it if you could tell us what you bought it um for it may help me just think through the depreciation on it okay yeah um, i bought it for one hundred and twenty thousand and you um, yeah. The, so, yeah. yeah, so I'm seeing them uh, in, the, in the market for around about sort of the, the high 90s to maybe 100,000 thereabouts. Now, it's, it's, a, it's also, too, what, what tends to perhaps put a few people off is it's a, it's a small capacity engine. It's a 1.8-litre, I think, turbocharged four-cylinder. But, uh, but I'll tell you what, on the highway, the gearing is fantastic, as you've pointed out, Hugo, that fuel consumption figure I can vouch for. Um, and uh, then there's enough there's enough uh, grunt to get you around town as well. But people are so used to big engine cars here that that also tends to put them off a little bit. But yeah, I mean, Imad, that's kind of the figures I've seen around is the, the high 90s to maybe 100,000. Yeah, and, and I okay. think you quoted quite high mileage. So you, you may need to go a bit under that, I would assume. Yeah. Okay. I, I actually tried a couple of websites, you know, just to see the, the value, and uh, most of the websites don't even um, try to, to to put up a number. Um, those typical <laughs> sell any car uh, things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope that helps you. And uh, what 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 do you think? I mean, okay, I'm going to ask you this question because you just said you're in the uh, renewable energy business. What uh, what sort of EVs are ticking boxes in your in your mind at the moment? Well, uh, Tesla. Okay. Uh, there's not a lot of availability of electrical cars in the market. Uh, you, you're seeing a lot of these uh, uh, Volkswagens uh, driving around, but mm. I think things will change on that level soon. And uh, and the other uh, brands are are doesn't don't have enough stock, or other decide even not to bring electrical cars to the market so far. So. 
that's uh, unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. So the, uh, the the new guys are stealing a bit of thunder um, as well. So uh, interesting, interesting comment. Uh, look, thank you very much for that, uh, Hugo, and um, I hope that helps you. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. All the best. Good luck with the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, uh, and that was uh, Hugo with his value in his Persia. Now we've got a few text messages here for you, uh, Imad. Um, we've got hit one here from Bart, and he's got a 2014 Chevrolet Tahoe GCC spec basic option. So I guess that's the LS. That's all he said. Black with 83,000 kilometres. Uh, what do you think of 2014 Chevrolet Tahoes um, in terms of values? Um, I, sorry, I need a minute to... Yeah, sure. To so so, so it, it's a 2014 Chevrolet Tahoe, um, very popular car here. It, it says it's the basic, so I'm guessing it's the LS model. Now, um, 83,000 kilometres for a 2014 car to me seems uh, very low and, and on, on the seller's side, that's for sure. Because people who have Tartos tend to usually uh, put lots of mileage, a, a lot of mileage on them, um, and uh, they 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 sort of hang around for a bit, but they do yeah. think hold their value not too uh, not too badly. Yeah, I think with the American uh, kind of makes it it uh, because they do at least historically they run into a bit of maintenance issues as they get a bit older. And that's been a turnoff that I've seen in this market on the buyer side. Mm. I think generally for this car, it's probably in the 28,000 Durham uh, range uh, is what I'm seeing in our evaluator here. Yeah, sure, sure, great. Well, look, that's about uh, all we've got time for for, for the moment with you, Emad. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us this morning. Uh, Thank you very much for having me. Always a pleasure. And to everyone who's texted in and phoned in, thank you so much. For those texts that we didn't read out, do apologise. Uh, I'll tell you what, we're going to, uh, we will get back to you on those ones and we'll, uh, we'll we'll put them at the top of the hour for the uh, for the very next issue of Motor Mania. But in the meantime, Imad Hamad, the founder of carswitch.com, thank you so much. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll be speaking to you again very soon. Much appreciated. Thank you. Great. This is Motor Mania. This is Motor Mania with Damien Reed On the UAE's number one talk radio station. Dubai I 103.8. Yes, welcome to Motor Mania. I'm Damien Reed. This is the only interactive car show on UAE radio. We give you motoring advice. We talk about what's happening in the car world and we let you have a voice on road safety issues. We're going to be keeping you company all the way through until noon with a couple of guests in the studio. But I'll tell you what, winter is here, a few foggy mornings, and before we know it, the temperatures will be dropping all around the Emirates. Looking forward to that one. It's already been a great morning out there on the roads. Uh, if you are out there, enjoy it. Many of us will be uh, wanting to spend a lot of time outdoors again, that's for sure. So we've got uh, Tom Sieges from X-Quarry Off-Road Adventure Park here to uh, to chat all things off-roading, and that will be after 11.30. And if you're a novice to off-roading, I tell you what, you must tune in because it will give you some very good basic tips on how to get out there and uh, and not get stuck and not get into any danger. Also joined by my fellow motoring journalists, Imtashan Giado and Noel Ebden, who are here in the studio to give us a roundup of all the new vehicles hitting the roads of the UAE, and uh, and they're going to tell you uh, about uh, what they've been up to the last few weeks. But I'm going to tell you about um, yeah a few little instances that I've come across as well uh, on things to be careful of, particularly if you're on a bike and uh, having an accident. But uh, yeah, we got there. Anyway, that's all coming up. And um, anyway, I'm joined now by Imtishan uh, and Noel Ebden, and uh, we're talking all things cars and the cost of running them. Good morning, Noel. Morning, morning. How are you doing? Morning, morning. Good morning, Intershan. 
Right, we got there. <laughs> but <laughs> that was our show. You have to press the button. Yeah. Yes, I know. <laughs> yeah, we, we're getting through. Uh, so, uh, yeah, um, firstly, straight up the top, um, good news this week. Fuel prices have dropped around about 11% in October. Uh, Super is now uh, Super ninety eight is now three dirhams and three a litre compared to September's price of three forty one. Um, the price of special has dropped from three thirty down to two ninety two. E plus ninety one has now two eighty five compared to three twenty two, and uh, diesel is at three seventy six. Is that going to encourage you to uh, get out on the road and head off into the into the bush or desert or whatever you like? Well, I was just going to say, what what's Super? No one uses that anymore. It's far, far too expensive. Um, yeah, I've literally stopped using super. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, um, any any price reduction is good, obviously, for everybody. So, uh, yeah. Why Road not? trip time. Yeah, Road absolutely. Trips. Where are we going empty? Oh, I'll probably head to Oman again. Oh. Actually, the fuel is cheaper there. So, actually, no, I'll stay in the UAE and explore some of the wonderful deserts. That's what I'll do. Excellent. Yeah. Um, uh, yes, that was, a, that was quite a trip you did to Oman. With, yeah, yeah, with, to Salala. That was a few months ago, and that just showed that you can take old cars very long distances, and the best way to travel is by car. Always, always will be. Because you get to see the scenery change, the landscape changing, you get to meet interesting people, you get to explore roadside facilities, um, sometimes lack thereof, and it's always an adventure, isn't it? <laughs> can I argue that point? Because I would say the best way to go anywhere is on a bike. Yeah. So there you Just go. cut the body out of your car, same thing. Or take the roof off. Yeah. Take the roof off. Well, we're going to come to that in a, in a few moments about uh, getting around town on a bike. But I'll tell you what, getting around town on a, on a, in a four-wheel drive and SUV, one of the things uh, that also popped up this week was um, his farewell to the FJ Cruiser. Done. It is done. Done and dusted. Toyota oh. finally unveiled. They're going to unveil the, a final edition version. Um, but that's it. I think it came out, what, 2008? 2007, so it, 2007, like it, um, 2007. It ran yeah. in the US till about 2014, then in Japan till about 16, 17, but it still kept going in the Middle East till as of now. Yeah. Now, why has it gone away? I spoke to Toyota about this, and um, the way you know, they always want to say we're pivoting towards more environmentally friendly cars, cars with better fuel consumption, and just creating vehicles that are better for our environment. Well, hopefully, have the same capability, but there's never going to be an FJ Cruiser replacement. The real reason, I think, is. They kept making these cars. This is purely my speculation. Keep mm. in mind, it's not Toyota officially. They kept making this car in this region because it kept selling in this region. Do you know how many they sold in the Middle East mm. from 2009, I believe, when it was introduced till now? Yeah. 120,000 units. Really? This was a huge, was a huge market. I think the fuel price really changed people's perceptions of what they need. Mm. Uh, that stopped a lot of the casual buyers. And since then, Toyota anyway wants to move to hybrid. But I think just the sales weren't there anymore. The car is not officially made on a Land Cruiser line. It's made on a Hino factory line, so off the main line. So basically, it's a contract build. Yeah, they can yeah. ramp it up, ramp it down. But I think the volume just isn't there anymore. So sunset on the FJ Cruiser. Yeah, I mean, everyone I know who owns one always has stickers under their windscreen saying how much and do you, do you want to sell it and that's the thing. So at the moment, you're right. I mean, it was it was last sold in Japan in 2017. And uh, but they did keep it running for for us, but also Chile, uh, the Philippines, and uh, in the uh, uh, parts of South Africa. Anywhere well. with a desert and some serious off road, because that's what the FJ is—a serious off road yeah. car. 
They are very good off-road. I've driven one. In but the are desert. they out of date? Yeah. I'm going to be devil's advocate. It, it was out of date when it was designed. It's an anachronism, isn't it, from a, a bygone era. There's the whole it's point of the It's basically a three-generation-old Prado Tudo with a fancy body on top. Exactly. It, it exactly. kind of fell in that. the job, though. It kind of fell in that genre at the time of, of retro, when retro was, was, was yeah. really cool. So yeah. the like first... the HHR Chevrolet, yeah. et cetera. Exactly. The PT Cruiser. The Audi TT, the PT Cruiser. The, the Beetle. The, the Beetle. Yeah. And it was sort of thrown into that. Did a great job, but... Um, well loved out here. One of the very best off-road cars. Still, you can buy for your money. Out-of-the-box showroom car. You can just drive it absolutely anywhere in the Middle East. No yeah. issues. And it will get you back home. And holding the value too. Of course. they. Are. I mean, it's got a 1,000-kilometer range with twin tanks. And the level of modification you can do is literally endless. But for a lot of people, it doesn't make sense because it's quite thirsty. Uh, it's hard to see out of. And it's not very yes. practical for families, right? Noel, mm. I'm looking at you. Well, actually, <laughs> I know someone who bought a an FJ Cruiser, mm. because they had just had a baby and you could, because of the barn doors, yes, the barn it was doors. easy yes. to put a baby in the back. Is it easy? Apparently, that's doors. what they said. Yeah. Where that, look, I don't know. Well, com- compared to a, to a coupe where you've got to fold the seat forward, you've got yeah. that extra practicality of, exactly. of, of the, uh, the rearward opening Hang sort on of a half minute. door. Who has a coupe <laughs> and thinks, who has a baby correction thing? I need a coupe now. I need a, like a Porsche 911. The people we want on this show. That's, <laughs> that's, that's also true. The people I have a lot of respect for. Yeah. <laughs> They've decided to well keep played. their car. <laughs> on that note, on that note, uh, Shan, you said that the, uh, the Civic Type R is... I've heard it from a couple of places now, and I can pretty much... I've known for a bit, let's put it that way. But I think it's... Uh, not a little known secret. It's not. It's coming out. It's coming yet. Uh, for the first time since oof, the early 2000s, where we had the EP3 Civic Type R, the 2003, mm. 2002, the one, the first one with the Zingy engine. Uh, we then we had the FN2, which was the egg-shaped one, and then we skipped a couple of generations. They're all made in the UK in Swindon, and they still will be. But the new one is coming here. I believe it's the FL2. Correct me if I'm wrong, Honda people. What that is, is absolutely brilliant. I've driven the previous one, which is basically is, but with a nice new fancy body on top, some mod cons. It is, as probably comes close to one of the very best cars I've ever driven. And I would say it's like the 911 of front-wheel drive hatches. It's just been honed to perfection. Yeah. I think this is, uh, the Honda will be, uh, the Honda management will be happy because I think uh, Middle East uh, Honda office, it's the main question they get asked, isn't it? Where is the Type R? And that was the question I was going to ask you guys (laughs) is, do you, and and honestly, like, yeah, we've been asking this since we've been here. Mm. Um, has has this market m- missed an opportunity to to really Absolutely. build? Volkswagen is scooping up sales with the Golf and the Golf R. These are people, and Renault as well did a nice line in the Megans, etc. While they were all still here, mm. um, hot hatches are very popular in this region, despite yeah. not having the most curvy rows. We do like a good hot hatch, but but also as well as the fuel price um, has gone up. Uh, a hot hatch makes a lot more sense here now, mm. that rather than a big V8, for example. You know, the, the, if you want a performance car, why not buy a, uh, a hot How hatch? How many Focus th- STs did Ford sell? There, there's a lot around. There's a, there, I was, funnily enough, I was just looking on the uh, through the classifieds. Yeah, there's a lot around at the moment of, uh, of, of ST Focus. But also, too, and I think that some of the other manufacturers have missed a chance here in so far as we have quite a healthy JDM market, Japanese market, even though we're a left-hand drive uh, country. So when you look back at things like the Subaru WRX, the Mitsubishi Evo Lancer, I think those those companies have missed really missed an opportunity. Well, the WRX is still on sale. It, it is on sale, but they've they've never pushed it as like a World Rally Championship winning it car. It is quite and a that, small they, 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 they dealer, so they're doing the best they can. But mm. yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's not cheap. 
cheap though. The old WRX was under 100k. The new one is approximately around 150. So it's gone mm. up a lot in so, price. I mean, it's kind of moved on now. But if you get back to say the mid 2000s, when well, they were everywhere, when they were right, yeah. in in other markets, they were they were they were being pushed as the WRC car, the the blue and gold. The mm. col- you know, Colin McRae was still fresh in everyone's minds and and all that sort of thing. And I just got a feeling. That a lot of people But he I would, would have say, liked Damien, that that entire market has kind of gone away the rally star cars those are kind of faded away like the Evo that whole thing is just old hat now people now like lots of technology the german cars well, we, yeah, because the rules have changed and th- yeah. those cars don't exist in rallying now but that's right, it's yeah. all mercedes amg 45 is a 300 horsepower and four wheel drives and complication which i don't mm. really like the civic type r when you get a chance to drive it you will magic okay amg while we're on the topic the c63 was announced um, this week or last week And uh, it's lost um, two, I think, absolute key things that make a C63 a C63, and one is the exhaust note, and the other one is a V8 engine. It's a, a third thing as well, desirability. Two liter four cylinder <laughs> um, that that sounds very quiet by comparison, and which that um, you add all that up equals desirability. You're right. I, I have yeah. no words. No, I mean, who's a? I don't know. Look, it's it's a Merc at the end of the day. People will still buy it, but it doesn't have that. Same. At what point thing, does it do you stop by that? electric car? I mean, if it's that fast and still not just buying electric, a base model three would decimate. I think a C sixty three. Yeah, yeah. Effortlessly, yeah. effortlessly. Maybe that's the plan. Yeah, I mean, I just don't get the point of having a four cylinder Mercedes C sixty three. It makes sense for a Type R, same size sort of car, mm. but that's more about engagement and being part of the experience. The C sixty three now is about demolishing a road, and there is a kind of customer for that. Don't get me wrong; who basically wants a little sedan that'll embarrass a Lamborghini. But the old C sixty three buyer was a bit racious. They actually, if you ask me, had a lot in common with Dodge buyers because they mm. like loud and wild and Larry. Yeah, mm. but but it does right actually it raises a valid point. There's a As that car now becomes sanitized, I guess it's quiet, it's quick, it's efficient. You put up the video of the sound, or lack thereof. Exactly. <laughs> so then, does that make you think? Okay, if I'm if I really want a Mercedes, I'll just go for an EQS yep. and just just go into the the full EV because you're getting everything else and you're not really missing out anymore because it doesn't deliver the sound, doesn't deliver the. The the combustion engine. How set. is Dodge going to do this with their Charger, Banshee, Daytona, Hellcat, whatever thing, the electric thing that's coming out? Because they're working on it, and they're probably the closest to it because they got that weird noise, which is kind of cool. I like it. So they might be the ones to crack the electric knot. But if I was looking at C sixty three, I think I'd just wait a bit more and look at whatever Dodge is cooking up because that looked really cool mm. and it still sounded cool. So mm. that's what you kind of want is sound. And Dodge is like, well, if the car is not making any sound, we'll just compose one. But, but <laughs> or. or And here's a controversial one: Is this the end of sound? Is there no more sound? Are we not allowed to make noise anymore? Is that well, the whole point? Well, the, the Middle the, East, we're still okay. The EU is. The the, we're okay in the Middle East for sure, but we're driven by we. we our cars come from manufacturers that are manufactured in other markets for much, much bigger market, and the EU is clamping down massively, yep. which is part of the reason why it's not not Mercedes deciding we want to build quiet cars anymore, but the the EU legislation is changing by year by year to make the cars quieter and quieter, mm. and we are unfortunately other recipients, but you're right. It, it, it is Have actually- you also looked inside the C63 cabin? It's like a disco. Is that a word people still use? It's just lots of lights and colours. It's got like 18 drive modes. It's not. It's got about eight drive modes. But eight drive modes. What do I do? It's like a maths exam that I haven't prepared for. I just get anxiety thinking about eight drive modes. Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, well, I don't know. I mean, interior. Well, as as cars become less interesting, you have to interest up the interiors, I guess, don't you? It's a TikTok on wheels. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can steal that. Interesting. <laughs> interesting. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, we'll, we'll we'll pick up on that one a little later. 
This is Motormania on Dubai Eye 103.8. With CarSwitch.com, the better way to buy a used car. No one else does it like CarSwitch.com. Yes, Motormania with you through until midday, and I'm joined now by uh, Imtha Changiato and Noel Ebden, and we're talking all things cars and bikes. And uh, I tell you what, um, I've got a little bike story to tell you guys, and uh, not not a good one. Ended up in hospital this week for for uh, for a little bit. Came off the bike. Got to be so careful down there, and end up with a face full of stitches. So Ooh. be very careful when you're out there on the roads. Be careful of other other people around you, um, and uh, and just just take it easy. But I, it's fine. Been in way worse accidents. Mm. I'm thinking maybe. What, what were you doing on a bike? <laughs> this is unusual. I get out on a bike every now and then. Yeah. Um, but that's the was problem. Was it a bicycle that's or a the, motorcycle? That's probably the last time. It was a bicycle. <laughs> it wasn't a motorcycle. I wouldn't, ah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, oh, be, that, I wouldn't be that crazy to get out on a motorcycle on some of the bike roads at various times, except for early Saturday I'm mornings, would be fine. Hmm. But, um, but, you know, there's. There's been way where I'm thinking of the autodrome was uh, was was a was, yeah was that was a, was a big one wasn't that it? was a big one wasn't it <laughs> back in the back in the racing days so are your modelling days over or will you be back on the silver screen very soon Oh, uh, you know a couple of scars apparently it looks good um, <laughs> 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 but anyway Noel you've been uh, chatting to a talented filmmaker who's much better on two wheels than I am um, but also happens to love bikes uh, do you guys uh, remember this series Okay guys. Physically, the roads can't get much worse because you wouldn't be able to even drive on them. It's just going to be a nightmare. Welcome to Mongolia. Oh, my goodness. These roads are going to be intense. It's like some moon or something. I love it here. People we met and the culture and the animals. It's beautiful. Far Eastern Russia was the worrying bit, always. This is the hardest bit. And when we did the maps, this is going to be the toughest bit. This is incredible. The most exciting motorcycling I've ever ever done in my life. Now I shouldn't have to tell many of you out there. You're about to recognise those voices straight away as being Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman, of course, from the Long Way Around, the documentary series. Now they rode their motorcycles from London to New York, over thirty-one thousand kilometres, and it was absolutely. It was you just could not take your eyes off the TV. Had to watch the next episode. It was fantastic. Then they went eastwards. They went from Europe through Asia. Flew to Alaska, continued by road to New York, uh, and uh, just brilliant stuff. Now, it first aired going way back in 2004. Two sequels since then, The Long Way Down in 2007, and Long, uh, Long Way Up, of course, in 2020. Uh, the Long Way Down, that started from Scotland, went through 18 countries in Europe and Africa to Cape Town in South Africa. The Long Way Up, other direction, 21,000 kilometres over 100 days, 16 border crossings, 13 countries, starting at the tip of South Africa through the glorious and unexplored landscapes of uh, South and Central America. My personal favourites out of that, the first one, Long Way Round, and the Long Way Down that started from from the very tip of Scotland and went to to Cape Town, Nile. Fantastic mm. stuff. There was, and it broke the mould as well, because there wasn't anything about motorcycling on TV at all. There was a few counterculture movies and stuff like that, but that was it. It broke the mold. Mm. So yeah, it was um, yeah, it was amazing. Really, really good. Yeah. So, but yeah, um, if you remember, I was telling you that I was at the Dubai Motorcycle Film Festival mm. last time yes. we were on. Yeah. Um, and the keynote speaker for the uh, they showed a lot of like small short films, basically about the motorcycle industry. But they had a the speaker was Claudio von Planter. Now, for those who okay. don't know, Claudio was the third bike. 
He was yeah, the guy yeah, that yeah. rode with them and was on camera quite a lot. But he was also, he's actually a, a, a film producer and a cameraman, yeah. etc. So he actually famously, do you remember, he didn't have his bike license when yes, they first started. Yes, yes. And they had to quickly rush him off and he <laughs> failed and he had to join them at the edge of Europe. But anyway, um, yeah, I caught up with him um, at uh, just after the uh, film festival and we had a pretty good chat about what he's been up to. Fantastic stuff. Uh, amazing. So you, you, you're down there, uh, this is at... Um Warehouse Four, yes, the uh, yeah, four. yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah no, it's good, really good. Well, so. let's have a little bit of a listen to uh, Claudia von Planter. It's quite amazing how still people are interested in the Long Way series, which I filmed so nearly twenty years, so wow. eighteen years. There must be so many routes that you can do. If in theory you could do, you could do this forever almost, couldn't you? I mean, if, is there more planned? It depends on uh, Ewan and Charlie because they initiated the whole idea. You know, you and Charlie, they just love motorbikes. I'm sure they will do more. Just depends a little bit on family situations. That's why it took many years uh, between the first one a uh, long way around and then the, the long way up. But I, I they, they were talking about Scandinavia. So oh, well, that, would, the, that would be the, interesting. The, the, yeah. the question is whether it's kind of an easy ride in summer or whether you do it in winter that would be tough yes yeah, 100%. <laughs> you've still got your bike from the very first one is that correct the, the BMW? yeah absolutely really cool and it still still runs at the old i think this was the first generation of the bmw adventure bikes 1150 the technology is just amazing that you know that bike went all around the world it get got all the beatings falling over so many times we had a few problems you know the, the one all three bikes they had the kind of breaks in the frame underneath the saddle that was clearly a weak point they fixed it later with the new models mm. but generally you know the engine everything it just it just works i guess off the back of that i mean people would assume therefore that you're an expert at filming motorcycle <laughs> adventures i guess so do you get other offers from people to go and uh... yeah i have because of the long way series i then suddenly got calls from other people organizing expeditions because they just felt I must be the expedition man. <laughs> you know, it's really cool. I, I got a few interesting jobs. So at the moment I'm working on a program, the same thing. People approach me because of the long way fame. And so the show I'm doing now is with three Swiss engineers, very young guys. They are not even 30. They converted a diesel truck to electric and they want to prove that their electric version is even more powerful than the diesel version. And and they, they are aiming to establish a altitude world record in Chile, in the Andes. They want to drive up to nearly 7,000 meters altitude. Wow. And so that's, you know, I just love these kind of extreme challenges because to get a truck to 7,000 meters altitude is is really that's totally tough. mad. Yeah, tough, and it's a volcano. It, yeah. it's, it's a volcano where they often do altitude world records. The, the, the current record holder is, is um, Mercedes Unimog. Mm -hmm. They got up to 6,600 meters these three young Swiss guys, they want to beat that. So whether they got to get to the summit, I don't know, but uh, it's quite, quite, it's just cool, these kind of stories to see what happens, what it takes. And I'm sure lots of things will go wrong and they have to fix it along the way. But the whole thing is, is solar powered as well, because ah. up there, of course, you, there's nothing to plug in. Of course. Yeah. So it's quite a cool story, you know, to see, you know, everybody talks about energy today you know what's the best way forward and and so with these guys they have no other choice they need to figure out how to produce their own energy 
which will take time to charge. I, I guess in an ideal situation, it would take them nearly two days to recharge the batteries from flat to mm. full. But for me, for the filming, that's actually perfect because it gives me more time to recover and, and adapt to the altitude. Because you're, you're, a, you're a film producer, basically, aren't you? I mean, the, the, you were invited along to join The Long Way Around because they needed somebody to film it and they yeah. needed somebody who knew how to ride a motorcycle. But your actual job is a, you're a film producer. Isn't yeah, it? I, I do everything. You know, I'm a one-man show. If need be, I can do everything on my own. And if you have kind of bigger budgets, then you can bring in other people. Mm. Uh, usually you are, you're faster, you're quicker, you can be more efficient. Quite often, the stories I stumble across myself, it's inspired by the characters. If like these Swiss engineers, I just was impressed what they were able to do. And I said, I, I would like to tell that story. So I just start filming myself. Then I try to sell the story later. And with Long Way Round, that's different. They kind of initiated the idea and then at the end, they hire a guy like me to make it. What do you think in the UAE, obviously we do a lot of writing in the desert. Have you had a chance to have a ride? Or? <laughs> I must say I'm not a, an expert in difficult riding in, in, in sand. We, we did a little bit and I fell over a lot. But then once I did a film for National Geographic, it was a launch of the new Honda African Twin model. There we had a very experienced French guy who was showing off you know, the, the bike uh, in the Moroccan desert. So that was the, the best I have seen. Would you consider doing a film on riding in the desert, for example? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, no. It would, I'm, I'm always interested to, to do new things. That's the fun on, with my job. You constantly get into new stories. And at the beginning, you always wonder, will I ever be able to, to finish it? And, and will I survive it? <laughs> Yeah, great, great chat there with uh, with Claudio von Planter um, talking about that. I've got a text in for you, Noel, uh, from Alex saying uh, how how uh, how ridiculous of KTM to not uh, to back out of sponsoring the long way down, and good for BMW for stepping up. Agree? Yeah, absolutely. We actually asked Claudio about that, uh, and he said that the guy who made that decision at KTM actually was no longer employed. <laughs> so <laughs> he actually talked about that. It was quite funny. But single-handedly uh, established I'm, BMW as a brand yeah. for yes. me, and certainly yeah. absolutely not surprised. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, up next, we're going to continue the off-roading. We're going to be talking all things off-roading, but this time with Tom Sieges of X-Quarry Off-Road Adventure Park, straight after this. This is Motormania on Dubai Eye 103.8. With CarsSwitch.com. Great value, trusted quality, all online. No one else does it like CarSwitch.com. Yes, Motormania with you through until midday, and uh, I'm joined in the studio with uh, Noel Ebden and Itlashan Giado, uh, but also in the studio, uh, very happy to welcome uh, the manager of automotive and training for X-Quarry uh, out here in the Middle East, Tom Sieges. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Damien. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us, and I'm so glad that uh, you're in here, because I've wanted to uh, have a chat about X-Quarry for quite some time. I experienced X-Quarry for the first time with uh, when we took the Ineos Grenadier for for a quick ride right. along yep. with with the prototype car, yep. spoke to your guys then and thought, wow, this is amazing. This is a, a facility that is just so long overdue for this region, mm -hmm. and uh, we've got advanced driving courses for on road stuff galore. But it's an off road country, isn't it? So exactly, yeah. tell us about X Quarry. Tell where did it start from? 
So with XQuarry, we are located in uh, in Sharjah, in Maliha, so actually a stone's throw away from Fossil Rock, uh, about a 45-minute drive from Sharjah, one-hour drive from Dubai. We are um, in an old quarry. So we've got one million square meter facility. Um, so it is actually mind-boggling and difficult to, to, to get that size over on, on, on social media. Um, we're our, our park is... Um, divided into two, two, two groups, actually. One is the motorized section, where we've got 22 custom-built obstacles. And then we've got the adventure park as well, where we're, we've got a mountain bike course, hiking trails, an obstacle course run. Um, so it's, it's a little bit for everybody um, to enjoy the outdoors. And that's our focus, is really to look at courses and how to um, show people to get out of there safely. In yeah. the outdoors, and you've you've got the mountain as well, which is the best bit. I that's mean, a that's, great, yeah. it's a great I mean, climb, isn't get, it? Getting to yeah. the top of there and how the view from up there is yeah. astonishing. I mean, I know you don't let everybody go up there because uh, the road up there is a little bit uh, obviously there's a bit of a drop and stuff. Yeah. But uh, yeah, exactly, it's it's, um, it's certainly an adventure when you go up there. That's uh, and that's what it's all about, I guess, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then the the obstacles in the park will really prepare you for getting up to that mountain. Mm. And as you say, it's a 360 degree panorama where the mountains meet the desert. Yeah, and yeah, the, yeah, the thing that, that I find, um, and it was a real sort of a, a alarm bell in my, my mind when, when I went there for the first time, is that when you buy when you buy a sports car, when you buy a sort of supercar, you buy a Porsche 911, you buy a Lamborghini Aventador, you buy a Ferrari or whatever it is, and sometimes it'll come with a gift certificate or a voucher or a value added to go and have a driving lesson at Yas Marina Circuit or the Dubai Autodrome and learn how to get to handle it, get, get your head around you know this vehicle drive it properly and competently because it's a high horsepower car and things can go wrong. Absolutely. But there's none of this when you go out and buy a, a, a Dodge. Well, there is. You'll come to that in a moment. But, but, but generally, there's none of this when you go and buy a Nissan Patrol or a Dodge Ram or whatever. You know, you just go off the desert and the desert is a very dangerous place if you don't know how to drive your vehicle. You know, it, you need to have your witch, but Imtashan, you, you can vouch for that absolutely 100%. That you Hope need for to the be- best seems not a good strategy, but a lot of people get sent out there with just their car and say, oh, lower the tire pressure. To what? To how? Yeah. yeah. When, what do I get? How do I get back up again? I mean, and, and this is the thing with, with XQuarry. I thought, this is, this is genius. This is everyone who buys a four wheel drive who wants to go to the desert must go to XQuarry. And I'm not saying that as a thing, but you just got to learn how to drive your car first, right? Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, and we give three different types of courses uh, at Xquery. So, one is Discover. So, that's really designed for those who have never uh, been off road, have just had the first, you know, three ton V eight powered SUV. Uh, what do I do with it? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so we do the, the Discover. So, really, the basics um, of off roading, and then we have an uh, an experience course. So, you've been to the desert maybe ten or twenty times, but you want to um, learn how to do more advanced uh, things. And then we have our master course, which that is something also that is, is really unique for the region. So we include in that master course, so you know, navigating the sand, leading a group, but then also we do a fire suppression demo mm. and we do a rollover simulator. So we actually have a rollover simulator. We'll put you in there. We'll turn you around a few times, put you upside down, and then we'll show you how to get out of the, um, of the car safely without injuring your, your neck or your Fantastic. back. Fantastic. Because what's the thing that we all see in the desert quite often? Burnt out, rolled over, four-wheel drives. Yep. Exactly. Every time, yeah. 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 Exactly. And then the fire suppression, we actually put an old car on fire. We set it on fire. We give you the fire extinguisher, and then we'll show you how to do that. So these are things that hopefully you'll never need, 
but you'll be thankful for the right reflexes once you've had the training. It's, it's quite mm, interesting in because everyone has a fire extinguisher in their car, but I'd say 99.9% of people have never, ever set one off. Absolutely. And so it's it. not something that yeah. you know how to use. You just have to make it up when yep. you need to. So absolutely. this is or to, absolutely. Or, to, or to recharge it yeah. if, if yep. it loses pressure. People yep. don't realize that for a lot yep. of things. Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's expiry dates on, on, uh, on them. Um, they also where to put the fire extinguisher. Mm. Um, so a lot of cars, they'll have it in the passenger footwell. Mm. Last place you want to put it, you actually want to put it in the back because most engine fires, what well, most fires are from the engine. So your immediate reflex is to get out of the car. Yep. Uh, then if you yeah. want to get back to the fire extinguisher, you need to get close to that fire if it's in the front pas- yeah. passenger uh, footwell. And also, I think a lot of people just open the bonnet and they throw the bonnet open and that's giving oxygen and to the fire and then suddenly, woof, and it gets worse. I, I can yeah. vouch for that. Many years ago, I had a car catch on fire and uh, I, I pulled up, I got out of the car immediately because it's the first thing you do. Mm. The car ignited, it went up like a you know, like, a, like a bomb almost. Mm. Then I realised, oh, my phone and my wallet is, is on the passenger seat. On the fl- I opened the door and honestly, I could not see three inches in front of my face. The, the smoke was that thick and I felt around and got my stuff. But mm. you're right, had it been a fire extinguisher, unlatch it and you wouldn't. Yeah. You just wouldn't. Yeah. If it was in the boot, the boot was untouched. Absolutely. Yeah. Was it an Alfa Romeo by any chance? <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was, a, it was a 1938 Packard limousine. Oh, well, phew. <laughs> it's always something weird with Damien, isn't it? Every time. Um, yeah. um, one of the things I wanted to pick up on was that um, you were absolutely right, Damien, what you said is that most people buy an SUV and they drive it out of the showroom and they're not even shown how to use the actual four-wheel drive system, let alone anything. All these anything. buttons. Yeah. I mean, modern uh, cars are basically car, but it's wonderful systems to say, okay, sand mode, press the sand button or rotate a knob yeah. mm. and then then, okay, the car takes care of it for you. But in the old days, when we were young, the cars was, oh, here's a lever. What do you do? Everybody assumes, okay, I'll just pull it all the way to the back. Not necessarily the right thing for every situation or every exactly. condition. Mm. Yep, yep. So now cars are better, for sure. Mm. So, so, Tom, based on that, what, what are some of the uh, the off-roading mistakes that you've found with, with people coming into to X-Quarry as, as novices? Um, so coming into X-Quarry, the, 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 the biggest... Um, uh, Error that people have is the throttle control. So yeah. it's yes. a lot of it is, oh, if you, especially if you're used to driving in the sand, it's all about momentum and power. Um, at Xquarry, we really focus on uh, controlled momentum, controlled throttle. So nice and slow going over the rocks. Um, this allows for your spotter to be able to see if it's going to hit and before it'll hit, so they can say stop and then uh, and then and then move back. So uh, yeah, throttle control is, is is one of the biggest ones. And if you don't have that clear skill, then it's going to hit something and it's going to be an expensive. You, you'd actually struggle. I mean, I've done, I've been to Xquarry. I've done the whole been through the all the whole course and things, but uh, you'd actually struggle to go fast in Xquarry anyway because the the I mean, there's quite serious yeah. obstacles. I mean, you really you can do. You just you don't. It might be expensive. It would be rather <laughs> yeah. expensive. Yeah, and yeah, you do I it once. Say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, so you um, what what I've always found as well is I know so many people with an SUV who literally have never taken it off-road because they don't know where to start because there's never really there's been a few small companies have done off-road mm-hmm. driving experiences but it, there hasn't been anyone out there to, that you can go right i need yeah. to learn to drive in the desert yeah and that's what you guys do yeah and then and, and what's really good with the off-road park is on the obstacles because it's all about slow controlled mm. power so you actually have the time to explain mm. uh, and it's not just the what and the how but mm. also the why yeah um, so you can really see okay the articulation differential uh, lockers traction control how that helps etc mm. etc so you really have the time to mm. and to it explain. is too I should, should point out too it's not like uh, 
getting some some four wheel drive experts and heading out of the desert. This is a dedicated facility with all the the, the emergency f- facilities, backup facilities. Yep. You've got a, a, an area for, 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 for to comfort breaks and and relax and air conditioned. You know, Absolutely. little huts are holding. So you're not out in the wild. You're, yep. you're doing this. In a, in a very controlled yeah. environment, just like a racetrack. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So we have, a, we have a training room where we have a 60-inch TV screen where we can do about a half hour of theory, and then we go straight into the park and uh, put that theory into practice. So, so what would be, for someone who came out, they've just bought themselves a brand-new SUV, have mm-hmm. no idea, they've never done it before, what, 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 are, the, what are the basics that you firstly point out to them, say, the, say the, the top five points you would say? before you step out into the desert or into the, the wadis. Or not the wadis when they're running, for goodness yeah. sake. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. um, so step one, uh, visit xquarry.com. <laughs> and book <a> course. <laughs> um, so if, if, you, if you want to go venture on the desert, um, never go on your own. Um, always go with somebody who knows what they're doing, knows the lay, lay of the land, has the, has the right skills. Um, bring enough water. Uh, as well as food, so I love dates. They can—they're a good source of energy. Can be kept at room temperature. They—they um, they expire in, in. They can go on for years and years and years. Um, so, um, never thought yeah. of dates and energy yeah. too. A yeah. lot yeah. of energy, and energy, a lot yeah. of natural natural yeah. energy, which is uh, yeah, which is really good. Mm. Um, and then obviously, uh, deflating your tires. Tell people where you're going to go. Have a flag, um, so you're more visible. Mm. Um, those 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 are the things. Yeah. Tell people where you're going to go because quite often, or not often, but but it has happens more often than not. You're going to an area where you might not have cell reception, and people assume mm. that you can just get on the phone and say, "Hey, I'm stuck." But you could even be in an area with mm. cell reception, but you could be in the bottom of a dune, bogged in like a hole, mm-hmm. and you might not have cell reception there. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah, exactly. Or yeah. you or you might have full cell reception. You can speak to people, but you have no idea where you are. <laughs> So exactly. you can't tell yeah. them to come and get you. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and that's the beauty of WhatsApp. You can do a share location and, yep. and, and, and go yep. from there. So if you are stuck in a bowl, it's a great thing to uh, point it out. Um, if you are stuck in a bowl, what usually really helps is just to climb up on top of the dune. Yeah. Mm, getting reception yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Well, look, Tom, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you said you can find you at you, – where, where can people, f- f- people find you again? Uh, so we're in Exquarry in Maliha, uh, mm-hmm. stone throw away from uh, from Fossil Rock in Sharjah. Uh, yeah, forty five minutes from um, from Sharjah and one hour from from Dubai. Brilliant! And the weather is perfect. People get out there, go and visit Exquarry and uh, educate yourself before you head off into the desert. We've had some text messages come through, uh, and a text message here from Grant. He wants to know. Uh, I mentioned earlier about. Uh, cars, buying a car and not going out there. And you raised your hand straight away. There is, you, you do have an association with it, with it, with a car company where you can do exactly that. Yes, correct. So um, we're partnered with Al Gandhi and Chevrolet. So anybody who buys a brand new uh, Chevrolet Tahoe Z71 or Silverado, um, that comes with a free four-hour course uh, at at Exquarry. So we really get take you through uh, the car take you through the car spaces and it's it really is impressive yeah and and Khaled has also texted and he said uh, I, I've, I've owned a, a couple of SUVs uh, but why is it so important to do an off-roading course it's a simple one but um, it needs to be answered yeah so <laughs> it, it, it essentially it actually saves you money uh, so you're, you're not going to damage your vehicle, um, but you learn how to get out there safely um, from from a car perspective, from your personal injury perspective, from an environmental perspective as well, um, and that you just enjoy the outdoors. Can I ask a question then? Um, 
a lot of people out here who are off-road have been doing it the traditional way, which is they go out and join an off-road club. Mm-hmm. And they learn from other people who are members mm-hmm. of the club who are self-appointed marshals or safety people, whatever. And I often find that a little bit like children looking after other children. Because yeah. that is essentially why it is people who have learned themselves are now teaching other people and passing skills down in a very, in a kind of Middle Eastern way of passing down mm-hmm. to generations. Mm-hmm. How does that compare with what you do at Exquarry? Right. So what's really good with Xquarry is that usually it's a one-on-one or one-on-two, uh, one-on-two, rather than being in a club, in a group of 10 or 15 people. You're going out in the desert. Often different cars. Often different cars. And what you don't want to do is you feel bad when you hold everyone else up. Uh, and nobody wants to get stuck. So you go over June too fast and then, and then you get And launched, then you break your car. And then you break your car. Exactly. So with our motto is, um, you know, if you try it a hundred times and you get stuck a hundred times because you're going too slow, it's much better than going too fast once uh, and damaging the car. So um, with us, because it's a small group and we are extremely patient and it's it's always about... um, customizing as, as you go along. Um, you know, you'll see how the person reacts. Okay, they're very comfortable on the off-road. We can go a little bit more. They're not thinking, you know, let's, let's, let's go um, focus a, few, a bit more on the awesome ski do, skills. Do you think, and, and I'll open this to, to all of you guys, do you think this should be perhaps part of a licensing situation in, in order to get an SUV? Should you have to undergo one of these tests? Or, or, or a license to go into the desert, rather, because some people yeah. don't want to take their yeah. SUV into the desert, I guess. Because it so, is yeah. when we're talking a life and death situation, particularly in the warmer months. Mm. I think you'd struggle out here because for a lot of people, the desert isn't part of the culture. It's part of the environment. To have any kind of restriction, I think, would be anathema to a lot of people. But I do think that if you are to open an area like Xquarry and a desert version or even more open desert Xquarry, I think it's a good idea. When you say, if you're going to have fun out there, you need to have this and this and this licensing procedure. Yeah. You need to have at least done this course and passed it to experience the desert because the desert is shrinking. There's more and more things opening out there. I think this is going to be the way to allow us to still enjoy the outdoors in the years mm, to come. Yeah. What do you think, Tom? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, and you know, actually following on uh, from that, we also do an SUV safety course. So what mm. we've uh, noticed is a lot of people that are coming in from abroad, they're used to driving their small, compact saloon cars. Mm. Now suddenly you're in a three-ton V8-powered vehicle on the road doing 120 kilometers an hour. It handles differently. Yeah. Um, stopping, center of gravity, all this. So we actually do have an SUV safety training course um, where we show you, you know, how to handle an SUV going at 120 kilometers an hour. Suddenly you need to do an emergency braking with a turn. Mm. Yeah. What right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, good. Um, uh, and again, question to all you guys, what, what, on, your, on your experience, what are the best roads? What are the best routes? Where's, where's, a, where's a must-go-to place if you've, got the free, if you've got the skills and the vehicle to, to head off-road? What's your favorite destinations? Um, for me, actually, the favorite destination is making your own. It doesn't matter where it is. Yeah. Uh, it's just making your own. As long as you have the right tools and the right confidence uh, to, to, to get out there, uh, make your own route. It could be um, just down to Fossil Rock. It could be up in the, in the Russell Kamer Mountains. It could be crossing the Lewa Crescent. Uh, whatever it is, uh, if you make it your own. Yeah. That's the best trip. Yeah. I've, I've had some of the best uh, off-road drives, like a kilometre from home, uh, just yeah. on the edge of the desert. It doesn't. Ha- you don't have to go Five to... Five k's the other Dhabi. side of our Kudra. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why we live here. It's brilliant. <laughs> and Nip the Shen, don't say Salala somewhere else. No, not Salala. Uh, Salala is actually... <laughs> you did enjoy it, but somewhere You else. could do it in probably a Honda CRV, I think. Um, 
Honestly speaking, even the UAE, I kind of go for the more advanced stuff now. So I'm looking at the point of view of people who have moved on a couple into your master course section. Mm. Um, the opposite of Big Red Area 53, as it used to be called, is a very nice area if you really want to explore the potential of your vehicle. However, it is not for the... I see beginners all the time mm. there. They should not be there. That's a place I would license because yep. the angles are very steep. Um, Abu Dhabi, of course, Leva is still the mother of all deserts for a reason. Mm. But I think that before you get to these places, you should be licensed because they're just the, the trouble you can get yourself into is quite catastrophic and often quite dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. well, there you go. Let's open up a can of worms with that one. Uh, but again, Tom Sejas, thank you so much for joining us uh, from, from Quarry. And uh, like I say, get out there and uh, and get involved. Uh, go and visit Al Gandhi if you're buying a car because you will end up out there anyway. That's not a plug. It's just a, it's just a bit of a common, common advice. Uh, Tom Sejas from from Xquery, thank you so much. And that's about all for, for Motor Mania this week. So, uh, in the Shant, Noel, thank you guys so much. No problem. And uh, we'll see you guys back uh, next week for more Motor Mania.